What does healing mean to you? I think for me, healing is movement back towards being whole, movement back towards who you were created to be. mental health podcast raising unanswered questions sharing unanswered prayers we are faith-based peer-led story-driven and stigma breaking i am tony roberts i am eric riddle and we are revealing voices edited tony <laughs> it's right uh, we're back from our july adventures we are we are i, I had a great month but I'm, I'm very happy to be back yeah it feels good i i enjoyed my travels to new york um yeah so i was in denver had a great time met with our faithful friend judy taylor hey judy judy you're we love you got to cl- not really climb you can go up to basically a parking lot at 14,000 feet above sea level and walk another probably 200 feet up and look over the mountains. Uh, Actually, we were up there, and you can do this really nice hike back down to what they call Summit Lake. And so Isaac and Neil and I were going to do this, and we've gone, I don't know, probably a quarter of a mile. And we have this rather large female sheep trailing us and it got I got scared I mean I had an adrenaline rush from a you yes <laughs> they were congregating there were animals all over the place sheep and goats we did not see any rams but where you see a lot of sheep I'm guessing you're going to see a ram eventually and so we uh, we went back you know I mean you chased off a mountain mm-hmm. who knows anyway <laughs> Isaac felt like life was threatened for a split second. The whole, like, man-nature thing, like, we think we have mm-hmm. control, but mm-hmm. you might die by a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad way to Land go. Sheep. It wouldn't be a bad Land way to sheep. go. We have a little bit of dog action in this episode. Yeah. It's good. Some yeah. fake, fake news, maybe. <laughs> I think it's fake news. But it's so entertaining. That yeah, I'll tell you. Well, we'll we'll get to it in the podcast with Robert Vore. Um, but I'll, I'll put some in the show notes, linking an article of yeah whether this is true or not. <laughs> yeah, a Snopes heads up. Yeah, this know. is what you call a dog uh, fact check. Dog fact check. <laughs> co- copulation <laughs> question. Multiple partners. <laughs> Yeah. Serial relationships. Oh, my gosh. So I went to see the new movie, Mr. Rogers, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yes. And uh, I won't reveal too much because I expect you to go out and see it. Yeah. But uh, Mr. Rogers is probably the, even though he's quirky in his own way, I think part of his quirkiness is he's the embodiment of mental health. 
Yeah. Um, he expresses his feelings. He, he encourages others to express his feelings. Right. He, um, <clears throat> their feelings. He listens very well. He brings out the child in all of us. There are very few adults who have uh, maintained their childhood yeah. like Mr. Rogers yeah. uh, did. He's now passed away. And, and it must be said, his the core Christian value of oh. hospitality, you know, won't you be my neighbor? Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great question. Yeah, and the love and the hope and the, you know, he, he never really talks about Jesus Christ or in religious language, but uh-huh. it's so infused with Christian, as you say, right. Christian values. Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian pastor. <clears throat> That's right, ordained to TV evangelism. Not the typical TV evangelist right. you would find, but That's in right. the best sense of the world. Yes. So one to touch base real quick on, on my uh, full-time job. I don't talk about much on the podcast, but I am a uh, product developer for outdoor furniture here in Columbus. And I'm very happy to say I have a new uh, director who lives in Seattle. And it has been very refreshing to actually be able to have such a strong working relationship with a three-hour time difference, all thanks to technology through Skype, through texting, phone calls. It's been very good. And I bring it up because we're talking about telehealth a bit yep. on this episode mm, with tele- Robert mental Bohr, health and, yeah. and I advocate for telehealth. Absolutely. It's something we really need to make a robust part mm-hmm. of the healthcare system. It's part of my healthcare plan, uh, and uh, I've used it for probably 10 or more years, wow. and it's really been beneficial for me during critical moments where I couldn't get in to see a counselor, psychiatrist for weeks, if not months. Yeah. I want to get a telehealth professional on this show. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Robert Vohr, let me read his bio. Yes. This is from his website, robert-vohr.com. Robert has worked for various ministries and nonprofits in Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and England. His writing has been featured on Relevant, The Mighty, Thought Catalog, Pathios, and more. And he semi-regularly speaks at youth groups, schools, and more. He also hosts a podcast on Christianity and mental health called CXMH, as well as being a certified QPR suicide prevention instructor for groups of any size. He's currently working towards his master's in clinical mental health counseling, which he he did get just about a month ago. And he lives in Atlanta with his wife, their son, and their dog. Yes. Their dog named Knox. Knox. N-O-X. Which is uh, for night. It's a black night. I think he's about on episode 40 on his podcast, which started maybe January 2017. Uh-huh. I've listened to every one of those episodes, mm-hmm. and uh, real honored to have him on the show. Yeah. And I, I really do want to deepen that relationship. Yeah. Because it's important. It's part of peer recovery. Uh, you know, he's on board with the social justice aspects mm-hmm. of the peer recovery movement. So, Robert, thank you. Mm-hmm. It was a great way to really introduce ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So, let's dig in. Robert Vohr. Okay. Let's roll. Well, it's episode 13, Tony. That's right. Robert Vohr is in the house. We're happy to have Actually, him. Actually, he's not the... in the house. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, 
I'm in a in house. I'm in my house. Universal house. He's in the Skype. In the house of God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Robert Ward, one of our early inspirations. This is a, oh, a Skype sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, Robert. So, you know, we're cruising around podcast Landia and uh, thinking that we are original souls and we stumble across CXMH. And yeah. uh, I'm not going to say I was jealous. I was very happy. I was glad to see we have a pioneer ahead of us. Yeah, it's uh, I get what you're saying because there is a, you know every time I stumble upon somebody who's kind of in this intersection, there's a, a half a second of, oh man, like they're saying kind of the same things that you know maybe that's you know I think that's kind of like the human reaction of like ah oh, but I'm trying to do that, but I think it's immediately followed by like, man, thank goodness because we need as many people in this intersection pushing in this direction as we can. So, uh, Absolutely. you know, I relate exactly to what you just said. Yeah. I, I've listened to every one of your episodes, Robert. Oh, well, thank you. That's yeah, uh, very happy with what you're doing. It's quite an honor. Yeah. You've had a number of uh, very interesting, very uh, noteworthy guests. And we were going to ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, how you go about networking and uh, getting some of the guests you you've gotten you know what's really interesting because i was somebody else asked me that uh, a couple weeks ago and it really is just one of those things where i guess i i i get in these moods where i think you know the worst that can happen is people don't respond or they or they say no and then i'm kind of in the exact same spot i'm not any worse off so i just you know i see someone i say hey they'd be really interesting and regardless of you know if they have you know a bigger name or whatever i just think well i'll send them a message and see what happens um, and I've been, you know, pretty pleasantly surprised, uh, not that I assume they're all, you know, too busy or anything, but I mean, a good chunk of them have said, yeah, sure, that sounds great. That's really interesting. Um, that there definitely is a, a good chunk of people that I could list off. Um, you know, I'm not going to put anyone on blast, but there's a good chunk of people that I could list off that said, hey, no, you know, thank you, but too busy and things like that, which is totally fine. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know that there's any secret to it. I think it's just been a matter of, hey, I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to go for it um, and yeah. then kind of see what happens, you know? Well, I mean, I really see this as a peer recovery. I, I really w like that kind of talk and, and putting, you know, what we're doing in that context. And I, I think it goes well beyond the bounds of any sort of clinical setting. Yeah. The peer recovery movement. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in a way, what we're doing right now is a peer-to-peer -peer discussion, and that's yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Asking you a personal question, you've recently had a delightful addition in your home. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my wife and I uh, recently had our first child, so back in April. Um, so I don't, I don't know what yeah what y'all's release time is, uh, but you know, so as of recording, he's three and a half-ish months old. Um, so that's been quite the adventure. Um, if, you know, I know that if, if you've listened to any of the show, there was a chunk there where, uh, we had some guests host, guest hosts and things like that. Um, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's also been exhausting. Uh, I think I was sharing with you guys, uh, right before we hit record that, um, I think I'm running on uh, one hour of sleep right now just because <laughs> oh, so, last night uh, was, uh, one of those nights, you know, but. Well, you've already tapped into it a little bit. How, how has uh, child impact having a child impacted your faith and mental health? Gosh, uh, aside from uh, you know just 
constantly being thinking about something else, you know, and obviously I'm way more tired and, um, but I think there is, there is something cool about, you know, when you have a new relationship that's of like a, a pretty substantial nature, whatever it is, I think you, you, you learn something new about what love is and you learn something new about what relationships can be. And so I think, you know, especially in, in having a child, that's a, a brand new relationship that I've never had before. And so I think it gives me, um, maybe some perspective on what love looks like because the, the, the feelings that I have towards him and like the thoughts that I have towards him and things are very different than, you know, that I have towards my wife, that I have towards my best friends, things like that. And so I think, you know, in the sense that, that God is love and all that, I think you, you get kind of a different perspective on all of that. You know, there's things that I can relate to about, mm. uh, you know, how a father feels towards his children or things. I mean, there's things yes. that you can relate to all of a sudden that before, I mean, you'd think like, oh yeah, I'm sure I kind of know what that feels like. Uh, but until you've experienced it, and that's not to say that like, you know, anybody that doesn't have kids or isn't married, I mean, that's not to say anything is insufficient, but I think, you know, we all have different perspectives and we're all looking at things from different angles. And so I think it gives a a whole nother angle on, um, you know, sacrificial love and the things that I would instantly do for him, like running on one hour of sleep for a day, you know, like, uh, and that's like, that's fine. You know, it's, it's not my favorite thing, but I'm not like mad at him. I'm not, you know? Um, and so I think just having kind of different angles and having a different perspective on, um, you know, a a father's love and things like that has been, um, pretty, pretty awesome, you know, just to look at him and say like, Oh man, like, I feel like I understand what miracles are more because like this little thing, like he didn't exist and now he does. And he like (laughs) squirms around and he kind of looks like me, but he kind of like, you know, it's just like, Oh man, like what a weird thing that is, <laughs> seems impossible, but is there, right. you know? I always like to hear like a seminal stories, how things really get kicked off. Like, what was the tipping point that led to you being very vocal about the intersection of faith and mental health? I grew up Catholic and uh, we like went, but it, it kind of mattered, but it didn't really matter in like a day-to-day sense, you know, um, that type of thing. And, but it was involved in youth group and things like that. But you know, as I grew up, had undiagnosed ADHD and then, you know, struggled a lot with depression and suicidal thoughts as I got into middle and high school. And um, looking back on it, it wasn't necessarily that anybody said like, hey, you can't talk about those things here, but it just was never, the space was never created to to talk about them, you know, um, nobody ever kind of gave that permission or something like that. And I know that there's a lot of people that were explicitly told like, hey, you can't talk about that. Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't my experience. But you know, so then in college, end up going to therapy and things like that, kind of at the same time, um, went through kind of a period of, of deconstruction and reconstruction, I would say that lasted for, you know, a bunch of years of figuring out what what faith meant to me, what things that I grew up hearing still rang true to me and what things didn't and what things, uh, what new things rang true. And, uh, you know, it was involved in some churches there and then started working in college ministries and things and just had this uh, moment of everything kind of coming together where I thought, you know, every time that we have a a student come to someone on staff or someone on staff at a a church or something and say like, hey, I'm really struggling with depression, right? Uh, The response is typically like, oh, we don't, we have no idea what to do here. Um, and so if those are places where people are already turning 
for help. And we know that that's the case. The research kind of bears this out that by and large, a lot of people go turn to faith leaders when they're in some kind of emotional crisis or something like that. If though if that's where people are already going, then how do we equip them to not be trained counselors, obviously, but to to know enough to have those conversations and then refer people to where they need to go? So just to to create those conversations in those spaces and to to help equip faith leaders and ministry right. leaders and and whatnot to to know what they're doing at least, you know. Um, and so everything kind of from that moment forward was focused on how do we. How do we do that well? So, so I, I found in my own life, there was a long period of time where I could understand what they're talking about, but I would not self-disclose. Yeah. Right. And then you get to a point where it's like, I think it's time for me to self-disclose. Yeah. So it sounds like you were in a position working with students in a university setting. There must have been a time where you went from not disclosing to self-disclosing. Is that, is that true? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think uh, there was, you know, a series of really honest conversations with people that were close to me. There came this point where I thought, man, if I'm going to have community, like real community that is in the the mess with each other and things, then I have to I have to be honest about the things that I'm going through. And so had a series of, of conversations with people that were close to me and things like that. And I, I just found that the reaction to that was hey, like, man, I would love to learn more about that. Or, hey, I know somebody else that could really, you know, stand to hear that or things like that. And so I think what telling our story does or being honest about what we're going through is, and I'm I'm stealing this line from somewhere, but it gives people permission to go second, right? You're Mm -hmm. giving people, you're creating that space. And so I remember the first time that I gave a talk at the campus ministry in Auburn that my wife and I worked at, Um, right after we graduated, the first time I gave a talk, there incorporated in that was a lot of my story of going through depression and being suicidal and things like that. And I remember for, you know, two weeks afterwards, people on the staff came up to me and said, hey, in my one-on-one with so-and-so, they said, you know, they they said, hey, I feel comfortable, you know, talking about that I've struggled with self-injury or whatever, you know, like just again and again and again and again. And it really wasn't anything that I said. It was just that you know, we've created a space now where we've said, hey, this is okay to be talked about. And then that means that you can be honest, you can talk, you can work through things, you can process through things, you can do peer to peer discussions, like you were talking about, you can get referrals, you can, I mean, you have people in your corner saying, we're going to do this thing with you, as opposed to, well, we don't really talk about that. started sharing your story, I read or, or heard uh, you had a friend who uh, who intervened when you were in some denial. Would you share about the friend who, who did something of an intervention for you? I think it's the, the story of the first time I went to counseling, and I do, I do tell yeah. it a lot in um, specific settings because I want people to understand uh, the, the power of like walking with people or helping to remove barriers, right? So when I do suicide prevention trainings and things, I tell the story a lot. But, you know, I was in a spot one night where it was really alarming to a, a friend of mine, you know, and she said, hey, I think you really need to go to counseling. I think you really need to get some help. And I said, you know, if you call and make the appointment, I'll go. I think kind of assuming that like, well, that's not really going to happen. Um, but she did. She called and made the appointment uh, and told me when it was. And then when the day came, you know, we got in my car and 
she rode in the car with me over there and then she sat in the waiting room the whole time. I mean, she did nothing, but she was there in, in a, a series of events that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone had she not said, Hey, I'm going to help remove some of these barriers, right? That's really intimidating to go by yourself. So I'm going to go yeah. with you. It's hard to pick up a phone and make that kind of appointment. Um, you know, so I'm going to do that for you. Um, and so I think it's a, a pretty powerful picture of, you know, our responsibility and that just the, the place that we can play in other people's stories of saying, Hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you where you need to go. Not that I'm going to be the counselor, but you know, how can I help you get to a, a place where you can find some treatment, you can find some healing, you can find something um, that, that you really need. That's beautiful. You know, it's a really good thing when family members, friends can be you know, part of those visits, especially on the front end, like you're saying, those initial visits are the most intimidating. Yeah. You know, that those transition times are very emotional. To have someone close to you walk through that with you is is very, very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is, I mean, it is a weird thing that for the most part we've never done before, right? You're saying, hey, I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to check in kind of like a doctor's office, which nobody really likes anyway. And then I'm going to sit there and wait. And the whole time I'm assuming that I'm going to have to go in like, you know, spill all my emotions to a random person. And most of us aren't comfortable doing that anyway with like our close friends. And so everything about it is kind of intimidating. And so just to say like, Hey, I'm just going to come with you. I'm just going to sit with you. You know, like we can just chat or we can just sit. I'm just going to also be present. I mean, I think that that does something really powerful just to say like, Hey, I'm in this with you. Yes. From that time forward, um, how have you found therapy to be, have you found it to be helpful? Yeah, I definitely have. Um, you know, I think there's something about that space that provides something that a lot of other relationships don't. And that that's not to say that that's like the only place you can find any kind of healing. Cause obviously that's not true, but you know, especially being trained on the other side of it now, um, I know kind of the way that it works and the way that it's supposed to work of saying, here's a space where you can process through things and there's going to be somebody there who's going to non-judgmentally help you work through that. So Robert, you, you have just finished your master's in counseling. Yeah. So I finished up in uh, July. This coming Monday, I'll send in kind of the, the final packet of paperwork to apply for the license and all that. So, um, you know, hopefully within the next month I'll be licensed. So what vision do you have in terms of uh, how and where and in what realm you're going to serve? I have a pretty strong passion for adolescents and young adults and, um, you know, kind of I've worked in campus ministry for, you know, a handful of years in uh, at least three different places. So, you know, college students I really love, um, adolescents I really love. I taught high school for two years. And so I think a lot of those formational times are really special to me. And I think partially because they were some of the worst for me. Um, and that tends to be, you know, what we have a, a strong heart for. But also because I think during those chunks of time, you're figuring out so much, right? Like, who am I going to be? What am I going to do with my life? What career am I going to have? What, you know, uh, who am I going to marry? Maybe, you know, like all of those things in the kind of the high school, college, just out of college realm. I mean, you're trying to figure out pretty much everything moving forward. Um, and so I think if we can help people in those transitional moments know how to navigate some things better mm-hmm. um, or equip them with some more tools to you know, cope with things or 
you know, teach them more about their emotions and their mental health. If we can, if we could do that for every adolescent, we would save a bunch of time doing counseling for 50 year olds in 30 years, you know? So with your podcast and, and then the professional career, do you see those being distinctly different things? How do you see those working together? Maybe you don't have, have an answer to that, but I'm just I'm just curious because you're doing a great thing with the podcast, Robert. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, I think they are two distinct things, but they're two sides of kind of the same coin. I would say, you know, one is individually. How do we help people recognize that you know that God meets them in their hardest times? That that's not, uh, you know, you're not alone in those times that you're not uh, too messed up and too broken, but that God is with you. I think all of that informs the way that I do counseling. I don't now I don't do like Christian counseling, but mm. I mean, if that's my worldview, that's my lens. I think that a lot of the way that I approach things is informed by that. You know, the last counselor that I had, he was a Christian who is a counselor. And I really appreciated as our relationship developed, how prayer was introduced into counseling. Uh, it was not the case at the beginning. Yeah. But, uh, it, it was very powerful, and to have that relationship um, meant a lot to me. Yeah. I want to be, I want to be creating a space that is accepting and loving and, um, you know, that I believe that they are, you know, I do a lot of um, person-centered and strength-focused because I believe that they are, you know, created in the image of God, and they have a lot of um, strength and beauty in them as opposed to, well, you're, you know, you are deficient and we need to fix you. You know, I think, you know, I kind of approach it from a different sense. The, the hope of the podcast is that people can listen, just regular people. You know, I know that we have mental health professionals that listen and that's awesome, but that regular people or ministry leaders or just somebody that, that wants to learn more can listen and learn and it's accessible enough that they can learn some basics and then apply it to their life. back to the kind of peer recovery peer peer movement yeah the way that people who, who mutually struggle can be more transparent and, and help each other those sorts of things yeah i think we're moving in the right direction right i think even in the past five years probably that i've been doing this type of thing online uh which that's probably an overestimation but i think i've seen more and more um, of kind of the sentiment of you can talk about things, it's okay to not be okay. And, you know, I think I've seen a, more and more of that. So I think we're pushing in the right direction in a lot of kind of the stigma, shame, you know, please reach out if you're hurting. Uh, you know, I mean, there's recently there's been a handful of, you know, pretty high profile celebrity suicide deaths. And so every time that happens, um, obviously that's not a good thing, but every time that happens, there is kind of another wave of, you know, good morning America doing a whole segment on suicide prevention and here's the hotline number and stuff. And so I think, um, just as a culture, we're moving in the direction of, Hey, these are things that we recognize and that we understand are real and that we know how to, that we see that there's some hope for treatment. And I think a lot of that at least partially has to do with the fact that the mental health field is progressing as well, right? It's a pretty young field in terms of medical things. Um, so it makes sense that as we understand more about it on the professional side, that people can see that and have more hope for treatment. Um, I think what's, what's going to be really interesting 
in terms of American politics, I guess, is the the more that I look at this and the more that I think about it, and I've spent a whole bunch of time, obviously, but it's fantastic to say, hey, we, you know, please go get help, things like that. That's awesome. But the ne- what, what do we do next? What's the next step? If somebody says, okay, fine, I will go get help. What do we do next? Because we don't have enough mental health providers. Uh, it's, you know, there's still ways of, you know, people not having it covered by insurance. You know, it's still pretty expensive as healthcare is overall. So I think the next step then is how do we get affordable treatment for everybody that wants it, uh, which will take, you know, a lot of overhaul of, of a bunch of things. So, but the more that I think, hey, we're advocating for mental health, the more that I think we can't effectively do that without also advocating for better health care in this country. Um, and that's not to take like one pol- one partisan stance or anything, but I think, you know, we just recorded an episode that'll come out in season three. Uh, we recorded it earlier today. So you guys are getting like the fresh scoop. Um, but with somebody who the whole conversation was, how do we find affordable treatment? Because, you know, I, I've lost count of the amount of people who said, hey, I find, I'm finally in the space where I think I would like to go to counseling. What do I do now? I don't have any money for it. And there's nowhere that offers free counseling or, you know, there's a six month waiting list or, yeah. you know, so how do we how do we actually get people into treatment effectively and affordably? Yeah, Robert, didn't you have a guy on your show, maybe from Kentucky, that talked about telehealth a bit? Yeah, um, Dr. David Sussman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. a good episode. It yeah, that like was... he was kind of on the fence about the value. And Yeah, I think, so yeah. telemental health is, it definitely is going to be like the next kind of frontier. I think right now it's in an interesting spot where um, the field as a whole is kind of torn on it because there is something about a person-to-person connection where you're sitting in a room with somebody. Um, and I think that the concerns that some people have are, you know, if you're, if we're Skyping, doing Skype counseling and you're in the midst of telling something really vulnerable and my internet goes out, then what, you know, ethically, what do I do? You know, um, things, things along those lines or so right now licensing is different in each state and the ACA is really trying to push for like reciprocity across states, but right now it's not. So if I'm licensed in, California and you're in Georgia, can I counsel you? Nobody knows. Like there's no, nobody knows what the answer to that is, Yeah. you know? So I, I, think I feel very things. strongly about telemental health is something that we have to get better at. I, I just yeah, feel yeah. like there's too many people in rural settings who have low access, who mm-hmm. are not comfortable going to an office. It, it's just, uh, like you say, a frontier we need to, to open up a bit more. Yeah. And I think what I think essentially what's going to happen is, you know, in the next five, six years, the the people that write the ethics codes, I don't know who it is, but they will all get together and figure out what the answers to a lot of those questions are. Um, You know, are there you have to have this certain speed of Internet or whatever, you know, they'll figure out what it looks like from the professional side. And then, I mean, it obviously is going to be the next step for a lot of people, you know, I mean, I do pretty much everything online now. I do my banking, I do some shopping, I, you know. Um, so why wouldn't we take advantage of that tool for something as important as mental health? And the flexibility is something to be uh, desired. You know, I, I've been on a, a phone counseling with my insurance plan that um, actually a church provides. And, uh, you know, that's been very beneficial if I've, 
if I'm up in the middle of the night and I'm not suicidal, but I'm, you know, unable to sleep and, you know, I have a mental illness and if I'm not sleeping, yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty crucial. So, uh, I can call the, you know, the, the train counselor on the other end of the line and, uh, right. uh, get, you know, not a full blown session, but you know, some listen, a listening ear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you see that with, I mean, we have right now, I mean, the, crisis lines all over the country are like hitting some record numbers. And so I think it's that type of thing, right? Where somebody says, Hey, I'm in a really bad spot. I need to call and talk to somebody, but it needs to be somebody potentially, ideally it would be somebody that they have kind of an established connection with, as opposed to, I'm going to call the same crisis line and it's going to be somebody who I don't know who they are. And this is the only conversation we're ever going to have, you know? Right. So Robert, you have talked a lot about various aspects of helping and healing. Um, what does healing mean to you? Such a great question. I think for me, healing is movement back towards being whole, movement back towards who you were created to be. So in, when we think about it in like a physical sense, right, if you break your leg, for that to heal, it, it's moving back towards the way that your leg was designed to be. And I think we can apply that to emotionally and spiritually and things like that, right? I'm not meant to be miserable all the time. That's, I wasn't created to be miserable all the time. So if I can find healing, I'm moving towards that, like who I was meant to be. If, I, if I'm bitter and cynical and, and spiteful all the time, I can find you know some emotional healing where I move towards somebody who celebrates other people and who loves other people well and things like that. So I think it's a movement. And I think I like that phrase. It doesn't suggest that there's an end point. It's not like, hey, it's one thing and then you, you're done. Ideally, we would all progressively be finding more and more healing as we move throughout our life. Um, and I don't know that we ever get to the end of that. I think parts of us can, can be more healed. Um, but ideally, right, the goal is for us to be moving more and more to, towards who we were created to be. What's an example uh, from your own life of finding healing? Quick, I think a lot of my faith things of coming to grips and, and understanding faith in a new light happened around the same time that I was trying to find a lot of healing for depression, for suicidality. And I think those things intertwined really well, which is why I'm so passionate about them working together, because the more that I recognize myself and other people and I see them through the lens of Jesus, right? So I'm, I'm created to be an embodiment of love. I'm created to love other people well and to let other people love me well because that's what they're created to do as well. That intertwines with this sense of community of, you know, when I'm in the worst bits of depression, I need other people. Like I literally, I need them to help me because that's one of the ways that God is going to help me through that. He's going to use counselors. He's going to use maybe a psychiatrist. He's going to use my wife. He's going to use my friends. He's going to use my dog, right? I got my dog partially for depression reasons. You know, it's been a, a long journey of how do I view myself and how do I view other people? And I think those are, are hard to separate from each other because whatever you're saying, hey, all people are created in the image of God and are deserving of love. Right. The flip side of that is, well, then so are you, which is a lot harder to, to see. But I think that that, you know, you can't say one and then say, but not me. I'm somehow the exception to that. That was very well said, Robert. And Thank you. I know a part of my mission is really helping 
people realize that in loving others, it's going to transform your life and, and transform theirs. And, yeah. Uh, it, it was really encouraging to hear hear you say that. Yeah. So, so thank you. Absolutely. And it, re- it requires, because sometimes I think that we, in this idea of like self-sacrificial love, we think, well, I'm just going to do stuff for everybody else, but like I'm not going to receive anything from that. And I think it's all our jobs, it's all our missions to love other people well, then you have to then say, well, then it's also everybody's job to love me well and to accept that, you know? Right, yeah. So you mentioned your dog, and we talked a little bit before the show about (laughs) what makes your dog so unique. Uh, uh, Share with our listeners a little bit about what what is special about your dog. (laughs) Man, he is, he's a mess. Um, I got, I got him in college, uh, partially because so night times were the worst for me, uh, just in depression and suicidal thoughts. And, uh, um, so I got him partially to, so then there was always somebody there. Right. Um, so then there was somebody to take care of. There was somebody to be there with me through those. Um, so his name is actually Knox, which is Latin for night. Um, he's also black, so it kind of works. Um, but he, is the runt of a litter of um, a, a friend of mine's dog, and they all look completely different. They all, all of them, and I discovered. And I, if this is what you wanted me to share, or you can feel free to edit it out. Uh, Tony but is over here, yes. like, <laughs> busting. It turns, it turns out, and uh, somebody, a scientist, might write in and tell you that this is not true. But I was told that apparently, in one litter, you can have multiple dog fathers. Uh, so they all look like every, every puppy looked like entirely separate breeds of dogs. I'm so glad that that brought such like enjoyment and, uh, and just sheer joy to you. Tony has Briley. It's only been what, three, four months. Oh, not even three. Yeah. Yeah. And they Talk about therapy, dog. Therapy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's... Right where you're coming from. Therapy is just... I mean, I've had a rough two days, and uh, um, whenever I finish dealing with someone on the phone, I just give Briley a big hug, and we wrestle, and yeah. you know, everything's better. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think there is, and again, a scientist might write in and tell you this is wrong, but I'm pretty sure that there's research somewhere that I read at one point that, you know, petting dogs releases endorphins and things that help calm you down, petting animals in general, the same way that, you know, holding a warm cup of coffee or a warm something kind of does the same, has the same kind of calming effect. So I I don't know if that's true, but I would believe it. This is great. You've been a great guest, Robert. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You've been great hosts. Yeah. I love your story about your dog. (laughs) I I haven't laughed so much since, uh, I don't know when. Tony was crying. There were tears running down his face. That's awesome. A great episode. Excellent. Really appreciate, Robert, you coming on the show. There were many things that I got out of this uh, interview, this this episode, Uh one of them was the story that Robert shares about his close friend in college who offers to uh, take him to counseling. Uh, Robert was reluctant and said, well, if you 
go with me or make the appointment, then, then I'll go thinking that his friend would, would not accept that challenge. But um, the friend did, made an appointment and went with him or took him to the counselor and sat out in the waiting room while he had his session. That's really an example that Robert gave of walking with someone yes. in their faith journey and their journey toward mental health. Yeah. Talk about being a good neighbor. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. Yeah. I'd like for that to be more of a norm, you know, than a uh, one-off, having friend or family taking their, their loved ones to help them in that transitional stage. Well, it goes back to something Mark Tyke talked about it in terms of the role of the church. You know, every church should, should have for all of its members uh, one person or more who plays that role. Right. Who... Uh, walks with them in various ways to help see that their needs are yeah. met. It's like going beyond just the referral. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Going beyond just the, like, I'll pray for you. It's mm-hmm. that action, that that true support. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you, friend of Robert Vore. Uh, for me, a big takeaway, you know, we were talking about that transition from when you you have your own mental health struggles, but you don't share with people to going to that point where you feel like you can share with others uh, and have uh, a deeper empathy and, and connection to folks because you are willing to be transparent. Uh, Robert did go there as uh, a part of a college ministry, and he, he put that in context of when he shares his story, he gives others the permission to go second. I really like the way he phrased that. Uh, because you're not forcing someone to go into their diagnosis, go into, you know, some tough symptomatic things going on. You just can share from your own story and be invitational for others to share uh, their experience you know, and develop that bond. So, Robert, thank you for, for that. We also wanted to mention a little bit of the telemental health. Those of you who may not be familiar, the way it works is you just have a number where you can call. And a health care professional of some sort talks you through your symptoms yes. and advises you on how to get help. It doesn't uh, prescribe by any means, um, but it will walk through your options. It goes beyond like uh, the suicide prevention hotline, yes. though. I mean, it, yes. it can become a, a right. real legitimate, ongoing yes. part of someone's healthcare. And in fact, they, they would not deal with suicide issues. They would direct that to professional suicide crisis lines. Yes. Our next episode, we will have Kim Graves and Diana Starkey, uh, two faithful friends of ours from our mental health support group, our faith-based mental health support group. Our fellow leaders. Our fellow leaders. Absolutely. We're going to model what our Faithful Friends weekly ministry is like. We're going to go through our regular agenda, <laughs> and I'm really excited about it. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about it a lot on the show, but mm-hmm. we need to give some context, and this will really help, I think. Yeah, I think it would be great. Interestingly, Eric, I've gotten uh, uh, someone to write in to, to share uh, our guidelines and I just sent our faithful friends guidelines to a woman named Marion, um, <clears throat> who's a pastor in the Midwest somewhere. Good. So, word is getting out about our group and 
who knows what will happen. This may become a, a model for churches everywhere. All right. Thank you, Tony. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. What kind of dog is Emma? (laughs) (laughs) Emma is a uh, 15-year-old girl. (laughs) Got it.